this morning, uh, I'll be reading our scripture. And we are really, uh, have gotten used to Joni's amazing puppetry to illustrate scripture. And so we're not able to do that because it's very small. Uh, so we wanted to do something on a grander scale. So there'll be some visual aids coming up the aisle as I read scripture. So our, our passage this morning is from Exodus uh, chapter 40. One forty. All right. <clears throat> when Moses had finished all the work, the cloud covered the meeting tent and the Lord's glorious presence filled the dwelling. <laughs> Moses could not enter the meeting tent because the cloud had settled on it and the Lord's glorious presence filled the dwelling. Whenever the cloud rose from the dwelling, the Israelites would set out on their journeys. But if the cloud didn't rise, then they didn't, did not set out until the day it rose. Whenever the cloud rose from the dwelling, the Israelites would set out on their journey. But if the cloud didn't rise, then they didn't set out the day it rose. Whenever the cloud rose from the dwelling, the Israelites would set out on their journey. But if the cloud didn't rise, then they didn't set out until the day it rose. The Lord's cloud stayed over the dwelling during the day with lightning in it at night clearly visible to the whole household of Israel at every stage of their journey. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I am going to go ahead and record my sermon here because the audio at the worship in the park wasn't awesome. So will you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your spirit and pray that your presence will inspire us so that we may hear your word for us today. Amen. So we are finishing up the summer series on Exodus. And in some ways, this almost feels rushed because we were in chapter 20 just two weeks ago, and now we're at chapter 40. This is because the second half of Exodus is almost entirely composed of laws that God tells Moses on Mount Sinai. We saw this last week when Moses was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days receiving the law. Without Moses to help them connect to God, the people get restless and create a golden calf to help them worship. But of course, the people end up worshiping the calf itself, which demonstrates the fundamental tension in the second half of Exodus. God wants to remain undefiled. And, well, that too, undefined and uncontained, but the people struggle to relate to this purely spiritual being. And this is because for humans, life is experienced in a time and a place. And that makes it hard to have a relationship with a God who is outside of time and space. The people need concrete, tangible connection to God. So in the last chapter of Exodus, 
God responds to the people's need by leaving Mount Sinai and coming down the mountain to live in the middle of Israel's camp. But before we get to why God came down Mount Sinai, we need to understand why God was in the mountains in the first place. In the ancient Near East, uh, the, in the ancient Near East, people believed that the only place the gods were present on earth was atop mountains, nearest to the heavens. So as a result, people had to climb mountains to the high holy places to make sacrifices. You can actually still find these high holy places at like Petra in Jordan. And in, in this way, actually, God of Israel was no different. In Genesis, Abraham called God El Shaddai, which means God of the mountains in Akkadian. Abraham also calls God Elion, which means God Most High, but that's derived from the verb to ascend or to climb up. So in Genesis and Exodus, God lives in the mountains. And, you know, I wonder if this is what Amy Grant was trying to teach us in 1982 when she's saying, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Hallelujah Adonai, which, of course, we were young, none the wiser because the, uh, the Venn diagram between Amy Grant fans and Acadian speakers are just two circles that don't touch. Yeah, that, that joke, everybody thought that was hilarious at Worship in the Park or only Walker, but that's, that's cool. In the mind of the people, God could only be found high in the mountains. So it makes sense that God had to climb Mount Sinai to speak with God. But this only perpetuated the problem where the people can't relate to a distant God who they cannot understand, they cannot see, and seems to exist only in the spiritual realm. So, in response, God comes down the mountain. God gives people instructions to build a tabernacle where God will live. No longer will God be distant. God will come down and live in the center of the camp. This provides a beautiful resolution to the tension between the people's need for physical connection to God and God's need to remain unconfined and free to be who God will be. It fills the people's need by providing a tangible aspect to the divine presence, a, a place to offer sacrifices so their worship isn't entirely spiritual and ethereal. The physical presence of the tabernacle assures the people that God is with them. It, it gives them a sense of stability during what was a really chaotic period of wandering through the desert. And at the same time, God is not confined to the tabernacle. God remains everywhere and immaterial. The tabernacle is a physical structure where the intensity of God's presence dwells. So the tabernacle is like a sanctuary. It's a holy place with an altar to offer sacrifices and worship God. But the tabernacle is a tent. The Hebrew word for tab tabernacle comes from the verb shikan, which just means to pitch a tent. God tells Moses to, to build a tent that can be set up and taken down every day. 
because this is a tabernacle that moves with the people. It's a tabernacle that reflects the God who dwells there, a God who's always on the move and can't be pinned down to one time or one place, a God who does not remain distant and aloof while the people struggle. This is a God who takes up residence with the people, not at the edges of Israel's life, but at the very center of their camp. And it says that God tabernacles with the people. God shakans with the people. God sets up a tent among the people. Because God is committed to stay with the people no matter where they go. God's committed to the journey. And Christians, we pretty much call this incarnation. And our theology of incarnation comes from the Gospel of John, where it says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and lived among us. But John doesn't use the normal Greek word for live, like came flesh and lived among us. In Greek, what typically you would say is the word zoe, like the name. But when John says the word became flesh and lived among us, he uses the word shikano, which is a Greek version of the Hebrew word shikan, to tabernacle or pitch a tent. John is saying that the ministry of Jesus is God tabernacling with the people, just like what was going on in Exodus. And, you know, we, we often use the metaphor of of faith as a journey. And I know that I was told at different points in my life that, that the journey of faith needs to have a destination. Most specifically, that God is the destination, that we are journeying towards a place of faith and understanding that, you know, can only be found through holy living and lots of prayer and a variety of other stuff. But that analogy is much more like the God of the mountains, who we have to travel to encounter. And what Exodus teaches us, and what the Incarnation teaches us, is that faith is not a journey to God. Faith is a journey with God. No matter where we were at, God sets up camp next to us and journeys with us as we navigate through life. So I have one last thought. At the time when people were disconnected from their normal way of worshiping, when they were out in the desert, God told them to make a physical structure to remind them that God was with them. And at a time when we can't gather in our sanctuary to worship, where we are disconnected from our normal patterns of community and fellowship and worship, we might want to do something similar. Set aside a place or a time or even a ritual to remind us that, that God is with us. And it might be that you're actually already doing this uh, through Sunday morning online worship and that works and that's awesome. But you may also want to consider setting up a place in your home. You know, my, my parents, who they're, they're church folks, and so they had like this little spot in their house where they had like this fancy Bible laid out and they had some religious artwork and it was, it was a sacred spot in our home. 
and that is maybe in some ways more traditional, I, I think that so it's also cool if it's out there a little bit. Uh, my rituals of experiencing God are actually that in, in the mornings at work, I light incense. And then I, I look out at the window and see the pigeons sitting on the, the urban gray sign because both of these are, are symbols, one from the Orthodox tradition and one well, from other stuff, but they're symbols of God's spirit that's all around us. And, and it can also be more traditional rituals. You know, my friend Erin uh, is this brilliant anthropologist and writer and pastor, and she's progressive and sophisticated, and she does quiet times every morning because that's what works with her to connect with God. And what I'm trying to say is no matter what works for us, I encourage us to set a time or a place that helps us see that, that even though God is bigger than any concept we have, God also comes near and dwells with us and in us. That is how God sets the Israelites free and brings them to safety through their wandering. And that's how God is with us today. Amen.